Welcome, my son. Welcome to The Machine. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, more Pink Floyd celebrating the return of a Red Bull son to the driver's seat. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, the BBC's own Danny O'Dwyer. <laughs> How are you, Danny? Yeah, I've been doing the media circuit this week. I was uh, talking to to Rob earlier today about uh, different European sports as well. So uh, on a separate podcast, uh, which I'll allow him to shout out now. Oh, yes, Rob Zachney, how are you? And tell us about the cross-promotional podcast. Yeah, that uh, was a great day. Danny, Danny came by Remap Radio to talk about uh, like sport. On our sports podcast, on our on our premium feed, uh, it was kind so of a podcast because I'm I'm Irish. Podcast, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like you know, you can sign up over at remapradio.com if you're not familiar with what's going on over there. That's what sort of has become of Waypoint ever since uh, our site was shut down and a bunch of our colleagues were fired uh, as part of what we now know is a bunch of executives kind of looting the company. As the as as the ship goes down, so that's been that's been a fun thing to to learn this weekend. Is the people who are like wow. fake crying in the meetings where you and all your buddies got laid off were going the next day going to give themselves like two hundred thousand dollars wow in bonuses, and it's like that's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we had a great time talking about hurling, Tour de France, uh, <laughs> all sorts. Of, sorry, hurling like the sport. Yes, uh, not the tr- the traditional Irish sport, not like the Wayne's World. Uh, <laughs> like I'm gonna hurl, yeah, yeah. Got it. Well, great. I'll link that in the show notes for people to go sign up and listen. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. If you are new to Formula One itself, uh, we've got an episode just for you. The preseason primer assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen listen to that, it's episode 216. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films. I'm going to say car documentaries and films yeah that's fair uh, f1 video games experiments with a racing series and we're cleaning out of cars with our fingernails <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes what do we have going on this month danny yeah we have uh, car adjacent movie logan lucky was our patron exclusive um uh last month and we are soon to be recording um, a film review of Need for Speed, which, in fairness, is very much a car movie. I think I've I've not seen this movie, but in my head, is it about racing or is it about crime? And also, wait, now that I think about it, aren't all these street car racing movies about both racing and crime? That's kind of the mm-hmm. thing, right? The genre. Yeah, fundamentally, they're all about racing yeah. and crime. But I do feel like if your instincts are... Is this going to be a pretender to the Fast and the Furious throne? I suspect you are correct. Okay, I like it. Um, let's considering there was only one of these movies. I guess we'll see if it reached those lofty heights. Um, <laughs> massive thanks to all of our incredible uh, title sponsors as well: Aaron Collitz, Cyphus Training, Turf SCS. Alex Medina, Kickaha of the Art, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, Talk at Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Ironstation.dev, Telemetrydeck.com, FTC, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani. Stunt Derby demo is available now. I think that's technically still correct, although it might be because are you I forgot to do to that, Danny? 
That's not me. That's someone else. Oh, keep your demo up <laughs> after Steam Next Fest. No, no, I, I, I just sure. am anyway. like, do you donate yourself to to uh, the the donors? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. Um, yeah, exactly. We we have promoted two off podcast podcast or co- pieces of content from the crew already, and only five minutes of this podcast have gone by. Um, Abraham Getchell, the Space Above Us podcast, Crimes Bunny. Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rompf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Maddened Man, and Jason Kelly. Thank you all so much. We have a lot to talk about today. Oh, lordy. We sure do, but I'd just like to throw out there that uh, The Making of Karateka, just announced by Digital Eclipse, coming uh, later 2023. I forgot to mention, congratulations, just announced today. While we're doing plugs, yes. Yeah, let's get it out there. Uh, the hat but you're right, we have a lot off. to get to. <laughs> yeah. uh, another fantastic qualifying um, at the British Grand Prix here, thanks in part to some weather. Thanks, yes. Britain. Oh, my uh, God. At the beginning. And Magnuson's car dying near the end of Q1, bringing out the red flag, meaning we get a mad dash for laps when the session restarts. And it's one of those where it's just everybody jumping everybody it's just that's the best that's what you that's what you're watching qualifying for and it just makes me wonder why can't we get one Let's of those yeah. uh crazy sessions in q3 they always happen in q1 where there's 20 cars on <laughs> track let's scramble it in q3 um but i i would say q3 was still pretty thrilling here uh final laps norris lando norris in the mclaren sets the fastest time to take provisional pole and there's only Verstappen yet to complete his lap, his lap, and he is down in the middle sector. Yes. But of course, this is 2023, so Verstappen takes pole. Uh, but check out this top three. Max Verstappen on pole, Lando Norris in second, Oscar Piastri, the other McLaren, Ooh. in third. Both McLarens running their new upgrades on both cars this weekend. And it shows uh, Zach Brown slamming high fives oh my god throughout the garage have you ever seen a happier man in all your life lando was lando could hear him uh shouting like yippee in the background of the radio and said <laughs> wow zach is happy um such was his elation yeah really great it's a fairly like we've seen them dabble with some of the upgrades and obviously lando had these at the last race but they hadn't been put on both cars um maybe the high speed corner factor uh, at this uh circuit as well helping them out um but really fantastic to see it and and there was you know it's funny with mercedes with hamilton we often think about mercedes as as a you know a a british t or british fans supporting them um this weekend was a real mclaren love-in and i think that was super cool to see also like you know maybe it's this is just correlation but McLaren were saying they were going to finish their new wind tunnel in June and have that stood up and calibrated. And mm. what do you know? Like the, their upgrades for high speed cornering are <laughs> apparently pretty mighty. So better living through engineering. I don't know. Maybe it is just the the, the natural development arc their uh, their car has been on this year. But after a long period where they've sort of been saying that their stuff is out of date. They're struggling to execute upgrades and car concept stuff correctly. This is the first time that you've seen in in quite some time, at least uh, that you've seen McLaren kind of 
do the thing and deliver a sort of comprehensive upgrade that produces results. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they last year having finished so far down the, the field, yeah. um, get more wind tunnel time. So maybe that is paying dividends as you say, Rob. Uh, but behind that top three, we've got lining up for the British Grand Prix in fourth, Charles Leclerc and his teammate, Carlos Sainz in fifth. Then the two Mercedeses of George Russell and Lewis Hamilton in sixth and seventh, sixth and seventh, uh, in eighth, Alex Albon in his Williams, uh, another team that has, uh, flirted with, um, goodness. I was not going to say greatness, but <laughs> flirted uh, with goodness. I love it. Put it on a t-shirt. Uh, uh, Fernando Alonso in ninth, uh, Aston Martin going the opposite direction perhaps yeah. this weekend. Uh, and Pierre Gasly rounding out the top 10 behind him. We've got Nico Hulkenberg in 11th, Lance Stroll in 12th, Esteban Ocon 13th, Logan Sargent 15th, and a name I haven't said yet, Sergio Perez once again failing to get out of Q1. Yikes. Uh, this time due partially, uh, perhaps, to the fact that he was the first to set a time in that crunch period of Q1 as the track was uh, just drying behind him. Uh, 16th, Yuki Tsunoda. Then we've got 17th, Zhou Guanyu, 18th, Nick DeVries, 19th, Kevin Magnuson, and 20th, Valtteri Bottas, who uh, failed, he was disqualified from qualifying for failing to provide uh, the 1.0 liter sample of fuel. And in fact, he stopped on the side of the track at the end of Q1. So maybe he had that's zero. What, that's what I'm wondering. Like, did he literally run dry? Like, I, I, is that I, I, why you can pro- produce a fuel sample is because the car just like stalled uh yeah the minute i saw the next day that he'd been disqualified i was like oh i wonder i wonder if that thing that's not supposed to happen uh <laughs> happened yeah. yeah it's uh not a great look for devries either who is basically last um the only two drivers behind him are one that got disqualified and one that didn't finish qualifying so you know, not not it's to true. say that Sonoda's rocketing up the charts, but you know, another, the car sucks. Yeah, yeah, the yes. car is awful this year. Yeah. Uh, well, Danny, do you want to take us through the start? I do. An exciting start as uh, Lando Norris gets a great uh, getaway. Um, so does Verstappen, but in that sort of second phase of uh, of um, the 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 gearing up, I guess he. He struggles a little bit. Um, that actually uh, allows the other McLaren to come up the inside and almost have a little go. But Lando is kind of hugging the inside of the turn, so he uh, he 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 keeps it. Um, and then we have McLaren Red Bull McLaren, uh, a, a delicious sandwich as Verstappen is attempting to um, catch up with Lando and make easy work of an overtake somewhere. But it doesn't really happen. Uh, at least not in that initial lap. One of the Mercedes ends up going wide on turn three and rejoins. Yeah, Lewis, right? uh, is it Russell? Mm-hmm. No, it was Hamilton. Lewis. Oh, it was Hamilton? Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, great shots of um, Lando uh, down the, the first straight, trying to break the toe behind Verstappen to try and get ahead before DRS kicks in. Um, yeah, wonderful to see it, uh, you know, fighting throughout the lap. And we got a couple of laps of good action out of that first and second battle it took it took uh, max a, a minute to reel him in i, I really thought it would happen faster uh just because we're so used to seeing the straight line speed of the red bull just tow, tow tow it past anyone who does manage to get ahead of him briefly but 
I think there's a couple things. I was watching uh, Julian Palmer's video, and it, his reckoning was that Piastri actually had a very good shot at getting uh, Max as well at he the did. start. On the way to but Snow. But he backed off. Oh, sorry. And didn't want to force the issue and risk being taken out, which I think does kind of speak to... Um, Neither Norris nor Piastri really wanted to force the issue with Max at this track. And I think this is one of those things where the championship is a done deal. Nobody thinks they can seriously bring a fight to the Red Bull. But even if they could, the season that McLaren is in means that, like, first is not necessarily the most meaningful to them. Like, pursuing that's not worth the risk. But bagging podium points would be hugely beneficial for where they are at in the championship. So I think it's one of those those races where you really see like the the context of where the championship is at affecting the decisions drivers are making about how hard they 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 want to fight this cuz when DRS is up and uh Max has the entire race it, it sort of felt like um it took a little while longer to set passes up, and that might be because Silverstone is tough to recharge the battery on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because it's there, there's so little hard braking where you where you get a lot of recovery. Uh, so it, it it felt like you saw a lot of like passes take several laps to set up, where guys would sort of hover in DRS range or just outside of it when that one second area before they close the deal. But once Max was set up. Norris was not going to fight for that lead. Like he he done his bit at the start and he put a shot across the bows, but uh you know what was it? Like lap 5 three, I think lap five. Four, yeah. 5. Yeah, he he does not he stays to the outside when Max goes under him and doesn't doesn't contest it at all. Hmm. Yeah, and what's surprising though is that the McLarens stay with Verstappen yeah. and manage to pull a gap uh, out from Leclerc who's in fourth. Um, meanwhile, though, the other Red Bull of Perez working his way through the field, passing Hulkenberg for 13th on lap five. Uh, although Hulkenberg does make contact with Perez's yeah, rear right, that's uh, a damaging shame. his front wing. So has to pass. He has to pit for yeah. that. Uh, and while McLaren is showing some surprise pace in this race, Aston Martin, as we said, showing the opposite, Hamilton getting by Alonso uh, for seventh on lap seven with DRS. Um, and on lap 18, I, I've always wondered about this. And it's always been like, if I, if I ever imagine myself as a driver, it gives me anxiety when I imagine trying to remember what the plan is. And Carlos Sainz <laughs> says, uh, that Ferrari tells him that they're going with plan B. And he says, what was plan B? I forgot. Oh my I'm God. next to them. <laughs> Very relatable. <laughs> Uh, you didn't do what also, I might have done, which is like, yep, totally. Sounds good, chief. <laughs> <laughs> Anything Wait, you why say. are you pitting? Um, also up there in the mix is Russell having started on the soft tire, unlike most of the others around him on mediums. Uh, he gets by signs on the opening lap for fifth and then pits on lap 29. Rejoining in ninth, quickly reaches the other Ferrari of Leclerc. Rob, do you want to jump in here? Like, I just thought this was such an interesting thing. Like the tire strategy thing that unfolds across this race, it gets derailed by an incident like immediately after this. Yes. Mm -hmm. But everyone, like Ferrari was coming in. They were, they were trying to make their mediums last to the hard window opening. And then they were going to go on to those. And the first people on the hards were not having amazing results with those. And in part, like for the first third half of this race, it was really cloudy 
and cool. You started to see some sun breaking through in the second half, which might affect things later. But the fact that Russell Russell Softs appeared to wear about as well as the mediums people were on, uh, I really did feel like wow, he has. He's, he's made those last uh, incredibly long, and by going from the soft to the mediums, he is going to just wreck house in mm. the second half of this race because the hards didn't appear to to have the juice, as it were. I, I really thought the way that it unfolded uh, was, was curtains for Ferrari as far as like their position relative to Russell, and it was just a matter of... You know, once once Russell was up to speed, him reeling reeling them in. Uh, I forget who was still ahead of him. Was it Leclerc? Yes. Uh, just just reeling him in and and getting it done. That all got mooted uh, by by a safety car. But the the entire like prediction for how the the tires were going to go appeared to be wrong at the start. But then also kind of seemed to be wrong based on what we'd seen like throughout the entire, the entire race. Uh, the hards didn't perform like you'd expect in the in the final stages of the race, which we'll get to. Yeah, so on lap 31, Russell gets DRS, and Leclerc defends into turn six, but Russell cuts back, swings around the outside of the next corner, which is Luffield, uh, getting around Leclerc as they go through that long right-hander. Pretty great move. Uh, lap 33, then, as you said, Rob, we cut to the stationary Haas of Kevin Magnuson that quickly bursts into flames. Sure does. Uh, albeit briefly. Uh, but does bring out a virtual safety car followed by a safety car. Yes. And, and lots of people dive for the pits. And critically, that's what, that the, the double safety car nature of this is kind of what caught out a lot of people as well. Just want to say, wretched, this weekend couldn't have ended quickly enough for Haas. Just an absolute... Um, oh, yeah. N- n- nothing. If if they, as as Martin Brundle likes to say, if they didn't have any, if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all. Um, uh, maybe good to have everything bad happen in one weekend like this, but um, especially tough for um Hulkenberg, who's been doing so well. Uh, that's just a pain in the ass when that type of stuff happens. Um, yeah. The the virtual safety car to safety car transition is what ultimately sort of ends up. Um, deciding that final podium place as well, as I think it's during the virtual safety car, we see Piastri jump in. Um, and the issue with a virtual safety car, as we talked about last week, is that they can end whenever. So you sort of have to be, <clears throat> I don't know, quick on the draw when it comes to a virtual safety car, because you don't want to be too late in the virtual safety car, because like we had last week, I think it was signs pitted late in the window and ended up getting caught out a little bit. Um, the other thing that can happen is that it turns into a full safety car. And then suddenly the advantage that you had much slower is much is not it's it's worse. It's than if you had waited to wait to get the safety car. And that's ultimately what happens with that second round of pits. One of this is the part where my jaw was on the floor because Hamilton had just missed the pit. Yes, he had entry when the VSC came out and it was like, oh, God, there was his chance because he already driven a lovely recovery drive. He'd sort of clawed back a lot of the the ground he'd lost, but it was like, oh, this would have really been the thing to seal it in his favor. And the weird thing is by going around that one more time under VSC conditions and then getting the pit under safety car, it was like, well, bye, Oscar. You had a you had a great race, son. And yeah. it really yeah. almost went your way. Yeah, because because Piastri pits earlier in the race than Hamilton, but Hamilton, because he pits during a safety car and not a virtual safety car, gets a cheaper, faster pit stop. Um 
and jumps Piastri into third place. But uh, also he comes out behind Norris on so like Hamilton's yes. done what we w- would have expected, which is he goes out of the softs. It's the dying stage of the race. We've seen that Russell could drive the soft all day long on a full tank of gas. So it seems like the soft is just going to to slay uh, in this in this you know dying stage of the race. Used softs, no less. Yeah, that's true. There were a lot. There were a lot of folks who had scrubbed tires. I think mm. Alonso came in with no fresh sets whatsoever, uh, as they were sort of struggling with their tires throughout uh, quali. But Lando came out on hards. Yeah, he he had, he had he had the choice, and he went in and he came out on hards, which hadn't performed well. And I would have bet everything that they had just handed the the race to Ferrari. Uh, for for that for that second position, like they had the, they had the Mercedes they had the or Ferrari? Zach Brown. Sorry, what Mercedes or to Ferrari? Mercedes? Yes. Okay. They were talking to Zach Brown on the pit wall, and he said they were really uncertain about it. You know, so they just had the debate whether it was softer uh, to be on softs or hards. I I thought that they had just pulled a Ferrari and sent Lando out there to die. And you could argue from what was going on when they restarted, I think it was lap 39, um, that that was the case because Hamilton was all over the back of Norris. Norris had to defend. Well, Norris knew it was coming. Well, totally. And it, maybe it's an element again of trying to get those hards to get a bit more heat into them. It takes a little bit longer to activate them. Um, maybe the track is slightly warmer. Like Rob was saying earlier, the, the cloud cover never really left. There was pockets of heat, but just maybe rubbering in a little bit. Maybe that McLaren's tire wear profile has been different this year too, right? They have had... Like, it's different from everyone else this They've weekend. had the opposite issue where like wear sucks for them. Right. Getting it up so, to speed. Or get it, or yeah. yeah. So... I don't know. It, you know, the, the, the race will prove that it... Maybe wasn't the best choice, but it was a good choice, I guess. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of the more exciting moments in the race because, you know, DRS doesn't turn on until one lap after the safety car. So it is a fist fight. Norris trying to break Hamilton's toe on the straight. Hamilton trying to use the grip of his soft tires around the outside of corners. Norris trying to keep him behind. And it lasts for multiple laps. Um, Hamilton trying the outside of left field, then the inside on the following lap. Uh, in the end, though, Norris does manage to get those hard tires fired up and hangs on uh, to second place. I, I thought this was fantastic. Terrific. And it's not easy to get your tires up to speed in general. It's also harder, It's or I should say, it's it's especially hard to get your tires up to speed when you're also fighting for position because you, you have mm-hmm. to accommodate that with your entering into t- uh, corners where you are on the track as well. So I think it was a masterful drive-by both of them but lando really like showed his racecraft i think in there and sort of earned mm-hmm. the position that he had i do i also do kind of wonder like you could tell the softs were done very very fast and I, that's like, true too lando in the post race said he didn't know why he was on hards maybe it should have been softs but by the end of that battle i kind of thought oh shit they might have actually really called this right because the hards held together and the softs you know it's one thing for russell to do like a pace control thing for half of a race but what hamilton that dogfight that he was in with with norris the the tires were spent just so so quickly the window was open vanishingly small obviously you know the the mercedes is draggy and also just could not uh you know keep pace with with lando but 
I was impressed with how clean the racing was too. Like I think we're we're very used to seeing lots of borderline moves of oh is he you know is he sort of dodging around to cut off the line. Norris really isn't doing that. He's he's taking really like clean tidy lines that just don't leave Hamilton good options. You know he's not running mm-hmm. him out. He's yeah. just leaving Hamilton kind of like sketchy lines that Hamilton didn't want to try to force the issue with. And if we want to compare and contrast a soft versus hard battle, you need only look back at Carlos Sainz languishing in, what was it, seven or eight or something, oh, and man. Sergio Perez on the it, softs, yeah. gobbling him up on yep. a straight, you know? Yeah, lap 44. Well, that was... Uh, the, the You heard the radio call between Sainz and the Ferrari pit wall too, right? Where they were both like, what do you want to do? And nobody seemed to have a strong feeling about <laughs> anything. Plan B? And... Yeah, like signs is like I don't know, should pit, like stay out. I don't know, and Ferrari's like well, I don't. It was they they kind of ended up just again sacrificial lambing him, but also there it was not one of those cases where anyone seemed to have a lot of conviction about what the right thing to do was. But I think the results do kind of speak to signs was not in a position to be on those tires. No, and it's it's it goes from bad to worse because Perez gets by him for eighth, and then Signs either like loses momentum or maybe got gets on the marbles, um, falls victim to Albon, who shoots through on the straight uh, into Stowe, uh, and then his teammate Leclerc, like, who gets by like him through two, the complex of yeah. turn three and four, like two corners later, like it was in the same sequence. Yeah. Basically, he got, and we're not used to seeing that, <laughs> you know, a car get overtaken yeah. twice unless they got a blue flag getting waved. Yeah. Uh, Gasly tries it on signs on the next lap. And while he does pass signs, signs retakes the place a few corners later. But unfortunately for Gasly, injury is added to insult when on lap 46, Stroll just cuts the turn two corner, smashes into Pierre Gasly, and breaks his suspension, taking him out of the race. It's a funny they one. had a torrid race. Yes. Who, Gasly or. Uh, Gasly and, and Stroll uh, right. kept running afoul of each other, right? Because Stroll uh, had that one where he, he went around the outside of Gasly and just ran off the track yeah. and yep. passed him. Yeah. And, like, the the stewards, I guess, let it go. Uh, Both of these. he doesn't Stroll doesn't get yeah. penalized for anything. And, like, it was one of those things where when I saw it in the... Uh, when I saw it live at first, I thought that... Stroll had been run out wide by Gasly. I was, I was like, that's a fair yeah. no call with how they've been calling these things. And then I saw the in car, and it was like, oh, there is zero chance he was making that corner. Like there was just no way he was going to, he was going to have the turn in. And then yeah, this this fatal incident with with, with Gasly where he where he uh, breaks his suspension was a little was less forgivable. Like that was just bad. Is a bad position. It was bad choices by Stroll, and then just a really clumsy hell with him coming back online uh move it was not not his not his finest hour and i'm no. i'm i understand why gasly's kind of shocked at uh how this was not handled it was a real road yeah, rage uh, you cut me off i'll cut you off kind of thing i think i have to side with gasly here because he, he he's got this quote here from race fans it's black and white if you're on the track or off the track uh we certainly learned mm. that in austria um off the racetrack is gaining an advantage. Five-second penalty or give the position back. 
I got done 15 seconds last weekend for like it's phrasing here uh, for track limits. Now I lose a position to someone getting off the track and nothing happens. So I'm just extremely confused with what's going on at the moment. Fair. Yeah, I think he's right. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to tell him. Uh, also on lap 46, Pierre, uh, I'm sorry, Perez is still passing people this time. Alonzo for sixth place after getting DRS on the back straight. But as the cars come across the finish line, Max Verstappen wins an 11th race for Red Bull in a row, which I believe matches a McLaren record. I heard the commentator say, not sure if that is the record, but that's a lot of races in a row. Mm. Uh, the first Red Bull track win um, at Silverstone since 2012. Yeah, wild. Which I was surprised by. Uh, Lando Norris comes home in second, fending off Lewis Hamilton, who rounds out the podium places. Just missing out is Oscar Piastri. Uh, then George Russell in fifth. Sergio Perez comes home sixth after starting 15th. Fernando Alonso uh, s- finishes in seventh. Did he start in seventh? Uh, no, he started ninth. Okay. Um, Alex Albon, he started eighth. He finishes eighth on the 800th race for Williams. Another great defensive drive from him, although I don't feel like I saw him very much on on the TV. Uh, He keeps the Ferraris at bay in ninth, Leclerc, and 10th, Signs, and then outside the points-paying positions. Logan Sargent, Valtteri Bottas, Nico Hulkenberg, Lance Stroll, Zhou Guan Yu in 15th, Yuki Tsunoda, Nick DeVries, and then the DNFs of Pierre Gasly, Kevin Magnussen, and Esteban Ocon, who went out with a hydraulic leak. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I take back everything that I said. Uh-oh. Stroll did receive a five-second penalty for causing a collision. Okay, good stuff. Yeah. But I really don't understand the uh, the non-call on going off track and passing. Maybe Fair. they felt like the... I don't know. Maybe they were just too jazzed to see Lando Norris crossing in second and Zach Brown doing a little belly dance in the in the pit. What a good time. Oscar Piastri, not so kind of happy and not so happy. <laughs> he does he show emotion? I'm not sure. He shows more emotion than I Nick DeVries does, I feel like. Hmm. Although we'll get to that. Well, <laughs> we, yeah, <laughs> we should get to it right now, Danny. Okay. Uh, unless anyone has anything else to say about the, the <laughs> British Grand Prix, because boy, do we have some news. I know. We had no news. I feel like there's not been much news in general this uh, this uh, this season, which is fine for us because we're good at diving into the, the nitty gritty. But then, boy, oh boy, not out of nowhere, but uh, still somewhat surprising, the news that Nick DeVries has lost his seat at AlphaTauri and everyone's favorite man down under, Danny Ricciardo, is taking the place at uh, at HRT back where it all started for Daniel. He's uh, he's once again um, uh, back in the seat here. So there's a lot to unpack um, about this. Uh, there was rumors in the Dutch media, sort of for the past, you know, week or so that it was happening. We obviously talked about it um, over the past couple of weeks. Helmut Marco has been vocally. Um, irritated by Nick's lack of pace. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of scuttlebutt, a lot of questions within the general F1 community about whether or not this is 
an overly harsh early cut for a team which is known for doing these types of things. <laughs> uh, people like Alexander Albon, Pierre Gasly, um, uh, plenty of drivers who were axed. And also the mid-season swap is something that seems to be uh, popular with them too. Um, so I guess let's go talk about Nick first of all. So the, the a lot of, there's been a lot of reporting about this um, from various uh, 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 outlets and I've been sort of uh, rummaging through them all and, and trying to get an idea of both sides of this um, this equation. First of all, when it came to Nick, apparently within AlphaTauri, there was a lot of frustration because unlike other drivers, you know, he is a Formula 2 winner. He is a Formula E champion, sorry, champion of both. There was a re- real feeling that he was going to come in, hit the ground running and was going to be able to um perform at a high uh you know ceiling i guess right away um especially after he filled in for williams exactly scored points last year at monza i want to say um terrific for them yes when alex was uh was 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 ill and there was a big fight for him you know what i mean like they had to fend off alpine and uh, so i think mclaren maybe as well i forget what the other team was um to uh to secure his um, uh, position as well. So he's been seen as, you know, he doesn't like being called a rookie because he's in his late 20s and he has a lot of uh, open wheel experience and formula experience. Uh, But that seems to have been the case. Obviously, this year he has been outperformed by Yuki, I think, in every race but two, I want to say. There has been some luck on Sonoda's part, but in general, he has been, you know, the the other issue here is that the car is crap, right? Like, it's it's just a bad car this year. Um, So... I feel like we'll be having a different conversation about Nick DeVries in six months' time if Daniel Ricciardo... Well, especially, I maintain his most embarrassing moments have been where, like, oh, the amateurish breaking decisions. How could he just run into the back of Lando? But those two... But Yuki's on the radio every other race being like, this car can't break. Are you trying to kill me? I feel like when the when the driver who is you're using as the the measuring stick to say, like, ah, DeVries isn't, isn't cutting it, and the guy who is cutting it is saying the car doesn't stop when I want it to stop or it doesn't stop the way I want it to. Uh, it, I think it's, it, it's really crummy the way that like DeVries, like if you, if you take away the moments where DeVries has missed a breaking, uh, breaking spot, uh, I think, you know, he's, he's having a, 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 a fairly anonymous season, but right. boy, this car feels like it's just a, a, a lead anchor uh, tied around his feet. Um, so we knew that there was a chance that if he kind of had this month to prove himself and with the summer break coming up that, um, that, you know, that would be his last chance. He's had a rotten two races. So I think, you know, they're making the decision early. The other factor with this is you, there's obviously no point in emptying the seat unless they have somebody they can put in um, on the other end. And Danny Ricardo made the decision last year, which... You know, some may be, may have sort of, you know, fairly, I think, astutely said was a naive decision to not take up, you know, racing in any other discipline, but to sort of stick around and be effectively the sim driver for uh, Red Bull. Um, obviously, this has now paid off in spades because he has taken this seat. Apparently, there was a bit of trepidation uh, from the Ricardo camp. He would have preferred to have started next year. Um, this is for two reasons. One, he would have had a proper preseason to sort of physically get up to spec. Apparently, he has been working uh, very 
you know, diligently as with his new role at Red Bull, uh, but it's not one that requires him to do a lot of training. So that was one problem. And then the other thing is that next year is the year where Red Bull are sort of adopting this new philosophy when it comes to AlphaTauri. They're going to be working a lot more with them and using them um, uh, as less as a second team and more as a junior team where they are sharing technology, working with them on aero, um, all that sort of stuff. So uh, Daniel being already sort of in the works on the main team, that would put him in a great position to try and guide that transition from a driver's perspective uh, with AlphaTauri, if that's even what the team is going to be called next year. Um, so uh, that was his preference, but uh, waiting in the wings this entire time is Liam Lawson, who's over at Super Formula, Red Bull um, uh, dri- Academy driver. Um, and the chances are that if Ricardo hadn't taken it, obviously someone else has to take it. And then if Liam Lawson has a good season, then that suddenly becomes a question that they have to answer and not one that Ricardo is answering for them. Um, the sort of third element to this, and there's not much, uh, I don't have much to report on when it comes to this, but there is the question of Sergio Perez in this entire thing. Uh, Red Bull have obviously are running away with the Constructors' Championship. Perez is in second, even though he has now f- six races in a row, is it? Not g- gotten into Q3. <laughs> it feels like a lot. It's been, it's more common than not now, I think. Um, so there is a question about, we might have a real problem when it comes to the Red Bull family bench come December. <laughs> This this is the thing. Like I, I was thinking about this when this when this news broke. After saying a brief prayer uh, in gratitude that the news broke Tuesday morning <laughs> and not uh, like at dawn on Wednesday. After just just expressing my gratitude to the universe uh, that it, that it went that way for for a change. <laughs> I you know I was thinking about it. Feels like their pipeline has never fully recovered from the fact that they thought Kafiat might be the guy. That didn't work out at all. Gave him the hook and then rushed Max up because they they were confident they had a winning ticket with Max. And they like everything was sort of like oriented around, you know, get Max in there, see what he can do. And then we will we will back him to the hilt uh, during his his breaking in period. And then nothing else quite worked in part because like Max was I, I think we can now see a little more clearly Max was deceptively good, which made it hard to compare other drivers against him. Uh, but the other thing, you know, you revisit the the Albin situation and um, and to say nothing of Gasly, but you, you revisit the, the Albin situation and they didn't give him a lot of leash. And really, if Hamilton doesn't take him out in two or three races, things go really, really differently for, mm. for Albin as, as well. Uh, but you know, they, they pulled the plug on that and they wanted a steady hand with, with Sergio. And now that steady hand looks really unsteady and they depleted like, you know, two harvests worth of their, their development program, you know, in that whole changeover kicking off the, the, the max era and then Ricardo leaving in, in a huff rather than, rather than sticking it out. So it, it kind of feels like they're still dealing with the knock on effects of they burned through a bunch of people trying to stabilize their lineup, uh, you know, around max. 
and now the cupboard is bare. You've got Sergio, who apparently, having had a sniff of a championship, was overcome by it. <laughs> it's just laid out now, uh, and and seems to be in a in a, in, a, in really dire straits when it comes to comes to form. De, De Vries didn't really pan out. I'm not sure Sunoda is someone that you you've got the most confidence in overall, and so they've got they've got a bit of a problem here and. Ricardo, it's it's very funny. This is how it goes that Ricardo's back, and he might be being used as a stalking horse to to keep Sergio on his toes. Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's a mess. I th- I think that's exactly at least that's that's how I read it initially. Is like the the Devries thing is a is a non factor. Really, what Red Bull has is is a Perez problem, uh, and you know to to put. If if they are really if their designs are really to put Ricardo back in that second seat next to Max, they want to have him get back up to speed, get back in a car, see what he can do. Apparently, the the you know the reason it broke Tuesday morning for us was that they had at Silverstone a um, a uh, a test um, in Red Bulls. I think it was a, a tire test, but Daniel Ricardo as the third Red Bull driver. Uh, drove the current Red Bull car around, and then everyone was like, "Okay, yeah, his times look great. Wow, uh, let's let's sign these papers." Um, but yeah, I think if, if you to put him in the best position to take over for Sergio, um, this is what you do, uh, and the the person to go is Devries. I think if it doesn't, if like Sergio turns it around. Maybe they think again and let Daniel stay in that car another year. And if they really want to get Lawson in, then they boot Yuki. That's a that's a fair way of putting it because in a way it does feel like the look. We're already, you you know, Rob was saying during the race that like no one's catching Red Bull, right? We are at the stage right. where folks are you know thinking about next year, and it's a fallow year. But they're for thinking about Alpha next Tauri. year. You know what I mean? Like yeah, AlphaTauri yeah. aren't like. I don't know. They're not scrapping for points at the moment. I think there's too much of a shift happening next year. So that you you raise a good point that like maybe this is a sort of strategic thing that has more to do with the with the main team than it does uh, Alfatari. But like, there's a part of me that looks at this still and says, Red Bulls not zero tolerance but they're very they're very abrupt with whether or not they're going to stick with the driver they're very they're very quick to decide whether this is going to work out and i do think when you look at the drivers they let walk over the years like we've, we've been taught like look in williams is not going to be the most like earth-shattering year that you're going to see from albin but like he looks good he is he is driving the hell out of out of that williams he is he is looking like a a number one driver and they let him walk. Uh, Signs was one of theirs uh, for for a number of years, right? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't keep him. They, they couldn't keep him in the family. Pierre Gasly, uh, you know, was looking terrific uh, for a few years there at Tarasso Alfatori. Um, and you know, they like I think Marco was very frank about we don't have anywhere to promote you, so you should go find other options. And you know, here we are with maybe they've got maybe they've got another winning ticket in their young young driver program, but in the meantime, they have they've stumbled into a situation I wouldn't have seen it coming either that Sergio would be such a non-entity in the car this year. Uh, didn't yeah. didn't think that would happen. Uh, Alfatari, it's tough to tough to gauge with the 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 shittiness of this car, but at the same time, if it's t- if it's tough to gauge, 
is Red Bull confident? Can we be confident that Red Bull is not perpetuating sort of a culture of taking drivers out back and shooting them like one of Christian's horses uh, before <laughs> b- before you 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 actually have have done a full evaluation? It the one thing that makes me feel a little bit sort of that doesn't fit fit the sort of uh, the playbook here is is they have been fairly uh, I don't know kind about Yuki. Weird. Like, <laughs> he, he moved to Italy. Is He's it, committed. Is this part? Is this part of it too? Is like if they like you, they yeah. will just be ride or die for you. Like I, apparently they feel this way about Danny. Like they they brought him hmm. back, and I thought this was a ridiculous. Like, He's gonna be our third driver. You know, welcome back to the fold, and that was weird to begin with. And then they're like, ah, it's good to have you back in form, Daniel. Uh, take that kid's seat from him, okay? Right. And like, so, so he's back now too. And the fact that he left them in lurch, all, all is forgiven. And so there's kind of this weird thing of like, is for whatever reason, Sunoda, the chemistry just there, where they're like, we believe in, we believe in Yuki in a way that they didn't believe in Albin, or they didn't believe right. in Devries. And that, that's the other weird part of it is uh, Red Bull's always been kind of a character-driven outfit, and I think it. I think there are valuations being made that are about fit beyond performance. It's funny. I, I wonder if there's any change with the mentality because obviously when we looked at a lot of those drivers, um, I don't know, like I don't think anyone thought that Yuki Tsunoda or Nick DeFries were like <laughs> gunning for a Red Bull seat. But like there was a time when AlphaTauri or Toro Rosso was very much that, whereas like that's where that they're common. There, and and now we're in a situation where the driver who's nipping at Sergio Perez's heels is actually like an elder statesman who's who's playing for the the little kids team for for you know it it does it does expose I think like Rob was saying a weakness in the in in the yeah on the bench I, and I do wonder if Liam Lawson ends up doing taking one of those spots for sure or or you know do we do we have a full new team next year because it's not a, it's, you can't blame this year on yuki but also you know he's this will be his third season fourth season third season uh third I think season. he will have done he will have done three I think this is yeah. three i think this is season three. yeah well speaking of uh big changes at teams rob what's going on with alpine uh yeah so just a quick update i when I saw the headline, I thought this is gonna. This sounds pretty dire, and maybe it still does. Alpine has restructured a bit. Omar Safnauer is still team principal, but there is now an intermediary layer between him and Laurent Rossi. Uh, he reports into a VP of Motorsports, uh, Brut- Bruto Famine, and the way they explained it. Uh, so, so uh, Famine, I forget, I forget what his background is, but he's a, he's all motorsports hand, uh, more more familiar with the industry than like than Rossi, which may not be saying much, uh, but you know the the explanation he gave was sort of a full vote of confidence for Omar. He said the change has nothing to do with the current situation with the F1 team; it has to do with the brand itself and the ambitious goals we have in terms of developing the brand. Uh, in terms of new products, road cars, and in terms of new territories. Now, that sort of holds up that Al- the Alpine mark is something that Renault wants to promote as a luxury performance brand. So, and they are doing that through a few other motorsports series. But at the same time, given 
the weird vibes around Alpine and the fact that Lauren Rossi just a few weeks ago was talking about how the team was an embarrassment and things needed to change. Look, if I'm Omar's, if I'm Omar's half hour and suddenly I'm not talking to the boss, I'm talking to a new guy that I report into at a position that didn't exist five minutes ago. Uh, I don't know. I'm probably not extending my lease on, on my place. I'm, I'm probably, <laughs> you know, starting to put feelers out. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, this, this kind of stuff I think takes a long time to, to sort of bear out. Um, but definitely something to, to keep in mind. Um, I, by the way, have been really interested, uh, in all the, the Williams stuff. I've been watching all the, the, the Val's verdicts. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating watching, um, them being so open with the way that they're approaching kind of restructuring their team. Um, I don't know. It's, it's as a, you know, a, a connoisseur of Williams, I think, um, uh, it's, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, speaking of, uh, just quickly the, um, speaking of, uh, yeah. uh, fun YouTube videos that are F1 adjacent. Did you guys watch any of the F1 Academy stuff from Monza? I haven't yet. If uh, there was a lot of crashes on turn one, you know they they, they oh, do great. like three races. Right. Yeah, yeah. Link it in the show notes. It's uh, there was one pretty horrific one right at the start, which had a um a halo saving incident, but um, oh, right. it was a bit of a sloppy weekend. There was some good racing, but there was a lot of contact, a lot of um unforced sort of coming together's. It was uh, a little bit more Mad Max than I think they'd like to to see but um yeah three races to watch as well if you're want to catch the highlights on f1's youtube all right yeah i'll link it um all right well speaking of uh speaking of of sloppiness i guess uh (laughs) sloppy weather um the so after spa 2021 which was the race that wasn't uh because it got rained out um it was uh, put forth that maybe F1 cars should have what they're calling mud guards, something on the cars to corral some of the spray. Because really, as we've mentioned, I think in the last episode, we were talking about the, uh, you know, the death of uh, Formula Regional driver Delano Vanthoff mm. um, at Spa recently. The problem isn't so much the water, it's the fact that these rain tires are so efficient at kicking water on the track into the air that it creates basically a fog bank that makes it nearly impossible to see. Um, and so they are thinking, um, again, it's that has only brought focus to this, uh, that accident. They were thinking about doing this uh, all the way as a, as a result of 2021 spa race. Um, but they're going to try it. Uh, this week in Silverstone, as we said, there's some tests there happening. Uh, they're going to soak the Wellington straight artificially. Bernie would love it. Uh, <laughs> and then try out these new uh, mudguard flaps to try and corral some of that and see if it works. This is like uh, pretty much in this Autosport article, at least, universally um, praised by by drivers here. Because not only for um, uh, Van Toff's accident, but just they're all tired of you know, just foot to the floor. I hope someone doesn't spin out. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I was watching the NASCAR race over the weekend as well. And uh, it was the first time I saw what happened when rain happens on NASCAR. They just stopped the race. They just don't let them yeah. drive. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because 
It, these cars are probably would not operate at all in the rain. No, and slide all no, over the, the place. car fifty six proves that's not true. <laughs> uh, the the Le Mans NASCAR did oval? just fine. Maybe, but uh, but Skill also issue. one of the th- <laughs> yeah one of the things that I noticed was that whenever the spinettes do happen, they're they're all really good at getting out of the way. Like the, it's it's difficult because they don't want to spin out themselves. But like yeah, when 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 there's spray in the way, it it you know it does create. It makes it impossible, and then you have to, you have the nightmare where a car you know hits hits somebody you know about a stern. It's just like that's that's what we don't want. So, like, is the idea that these things are going to where are they going to sit? Is going to be like a little arch over the wheel where you're kind of enclosing your open wheel a bit? Yeah, they um they're they're they refer to them as arches or mud guards uh and so i don't know whether they'll just be like an extension of the existing fairings that are over the 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 front wheels at least uh and i don't know whether they will only be put on if it's a wet race you know there's also got to be like an aero thing there like are the teams gonna make it themselves or is this going to be like a stock part it couldn't be presumably maybe it is i I don't know I mean, there's probably a couple ways you can go about it, right? Like, I think the big question is if it's going to be a permanent install and they're not, like, deciding that it will only go on if you declare a wet race, which I think you're going to have to because the thing you can't have is in those changeable conditions, you can't have it that they yeah. don't have the thing attached to the car you're right. that's going to tamp down the spray. <laughs> so you're gonna, it's going to be a permanent part. I think it's going to be going the same direction as, like, IndyCar design and Formula E design where it's, like, the open wheel thing is going to become more and more notional. It, you know, when we talk about open wheel single seat, it's going to be a car with a centerline cockpit. Yeah. And like four for, and aft aerodynamic elements. But the direction of all these things is to enclose the wheels more and more. And, and also to be fair, like, you know, you can see in Formula E and in IndyCar, doing that makes them able to jostle each other a little bit more and makes for slightly more dynamic racing. So I think like formula one is going to get there. Like the, 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 the long-term arc of these things is going to be the cockpits are going to be increasingly enclosed and the tires are too. Uh, well, speaking of car changes, Rob, what's going on with 2026? Well, there's there's a lot of things. Like right now, it, it's funny that you know the the 2026 engine regulations took a long time to hammer out, and now that they have some technical simulation data coming back, you're starting to see some some hand wringing about it. Plus, there are some there there are some new new things that are coming into play for how they're going to make the the new engine regs work. So the the, the big thing is that. I don't know what the current ratio is. You can, you can correct me on this, Drew, but like the, the big thing in, in 2026 is the car's going to be half running on battery and half on, on internal combustion. And so that means that the energy recovery is going to have to be on point. The battery is going to have to be bigger. And one of the things that you, know, you, you highlighted in your, in your news clippings for this week is that they're bringing back what's being called fuel burn, uh, effectively, where you're kind of over revving the engine, I guess, to put a little bit of extra torque through to charge up the battery. Right, because the other thing that's happening is that they're getting rid of the MGUH. Oh, so they currently are. the way that cars yeah, the way that cars recover uh energy from the car and put it into the battery is two ways. The MGUK, which is kinetic. So when you 
uh, hit the brakes, it'll use some of that. It does a flywheel basically that recharges the battery and the MGU-H for heat, uh, which takes wastegate energy from the engine and converts that somehow uh, magic, I think, uh, into... (laughs) into battery juice. The MGU-H is apparently really expensive um, and um, tricky. Uh, Teams have effectively solved it now, but it took a long time. We used to see MGU-H failures all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's expensive. It's, it's complicated. And so they're, they're getting rid of it. Just, they're just doing MGU-K, but you're right, Rob, because of this deficit now that there is between, um, you know, there is now not enough kinetic energy to refill half of your juice uh, you know, with, with just kinetic energy. And so to do that, you now have to expend uh, horsepower to pump the drive shaft when you don't need it to juice up your battery. So, to, so let me get this straight because I'm no scientist. So, so to make the cars more energy efficient and eco-friendly, we're going to burn gasoline. So. Kind of. <laughs> Drew, I'll let you take it. Well, Danny, we have a special sustainable gasoline. Oh, sorry. For you. Oh, sorry. Okay. Where is this from? Do we ha- harvest it from corals in the Mariana Trench? Where did they find this? <laughs> uh, I don't know yet. So okay. I'm sure Aramco is working hard on it. This, right. So, God, like peanut butter this oil. This is a major topic that is going to, like, this is hugely important for the auto industry. And there's, there's yes. a few things that are going to be. I'm really curious to see how they play out because I used to roll my eyes at it and now I'm not so sure it's as silly as it sounds. Ooh. When we talk about carbon in the atmosphere, not all carbon is created equal. The like CO2 released by the airline industry is worse than the CO2 released by cars, right? Like CO2 at the ground level is very easy to sort of capture and recycle into the the, car- the carbon cycle. Stuff distributed in the high atmosphere, really hard to to recover and bring down. So there's an argument, a school of thought, that if you can create carbon cycle neutral biofuels uh, and synthetics, that you are not actively contributing to uh, like car like increasing carbon carbon dioxide levels and global warming. Now. Everyone and their brother has a reason to say this, right? Like this is this is the eat all you want. It's it's low fat. Like th- there's absolutely that element to this. Uh, Porsche has invested a ton in this research. I think they created a massive facility in South America that's going to be working on like producing and refining these fuels because. The entire value proposition of Porsches, for instance, is that they hold on to their value and they resell really, really well. If everyone decides we can't have internal combustion cars on the road at all in the next like 10, 15 years, then no one's going to want to buy current internal combustion engine cars. That aftermarket collapses. It's, it's, it's a bad scene. So there's a lot of reasons for people to want this to work. F1 is getting with that program. But also, is it is this maybe just kind of a sop to an industry, to a sport that's always been captured by oil industry interests? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a scientist. The thing I will say though about this this fuel burn thing, 
gas engines are kind of inherently inefficient and i could I, it does make some intuitive sense that like the marginal inefficiency of revving up a drive shaft a little harder than you need to wind up a battery ends up being more efficient overall um that that does make some intuitive sense to me uh but it is odd um to to the point of this oddness like this is where we're starting to see people complaining about the new regs uh, Max and Christian Horner have both talked about how they think the 2026 regs are going to be terrible. Horner's been talking about how the 50 50 uh, battery to internal combustion power ratio is going to be terrible, and cars are effectively going to have to be slowing down to charge mid lap. That you know, every race yeah. kind of look like we saw a lot of lot of laps yeah. um, at Silverstone. <laughs> no, don't threaten me Let's with a good go. time. <laughs> but there's there, there there's a so that is that is the Red Bull position uh as you would expect the minute Horner's taken a position Wolf has immediately jumped in front of the nearest microphone to say <laughs> that this is Red Bull trying to protect what is undeniably an immature engine development program and that they are that they are trying to basically throw sand in the gears of again a set of technical rules that was designed to bring in people like Audi who have come right. in. Like, are these things road relevant? This is another reason why the MGUH is gone. It's mm. not industry mm-hmm. relevant. Uh, yeah. You know, the future of energy recovery for EVs is going to be, there's no heat coming off an internal combustion engine. So it's just not, it's just not useful for, for what they're talking about. So Wolf's position is you can't rock this boat. It was too hard getting here. And there's no way anyone is going to, uh, you know, want to reopen this this can of worms. Uh, Fred, Fred Vasseur, I think, kind of gave the most measured response to it, which is, "What are we talking about? It's so early. Like we haven't developed the engines. We need to. We need to see how this play, <laughs> plays out. Like it's, it's absurd to talk about. We know what the racing is going to be like in 2026. Like, no, we don't." And that's probably correct, right? It's there. There's a degree of posturing in all this, but there there is a lot of anxiety around the the engine revamp because the stakes are so high. Well, we know how the racing is going right now. Uh, 2023 driver standings look like this: Max Verstappen is on top of the uh, 255 points to Sergio Perez's 156. Fernando Alonso is in third still with 137 points. Lewis Hamilton in fourth with 121. Then we've got a close battle between Carlos Sainz in fifth with 83 and George Russell in sixth with 82. Uh, a little further back, Charles Leclerc in seventh, and then a big jump down to Lance Stroll uh, in eighth. Stroll has 44. Leclerc has 74. Landon Norris has 42, uh, in, aided uh, a lot by that second place uh, podium. Esteban Ocon is in 10th with 31. Oscar Piastri in 11th now with 17 points. Pierre Gasly's in 12th with 16. Alex Albon in 13th with 11 points. Nico Hulkenberg's in 14th with 9. Valtteri Bottas in 15th with 5. Joe Guanyu has 4. Yuki Tsunoda and Kevin Magnussen both have 2. And Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries, who will end his Formula 1 career, question mark, with 0. Uh, constructor standings, Red Bull Racing is on top, of course, with 411 points. Mercedes is in second with 203. Aston Martin in third with 181. Ferrari in fourth with 157. Then we've got McLaren Ooh. in fifth. Welcome 
to the fifth place. <laughs> 59 points for McLaren. Alpine's in sixth with 47. Uh, Williams is in seventh with 11. Tied with Gina's and team now. Tied for seventh, Williams. Mm. Uh, Alfa Romeo's in ninth with nine points. And Alfa Tauri in tenth with two. If you'd like to join the standings yourself, you can do so in our Formula One uh, F1 fantasy.formula1.com league using the link in the show notes uh, from the British Grand Prix. The podium looks like this in third place. Nosh on sweets from the shift F1 podcast league Terrific. in second <clears throat> do Russell powered and in first place, the plugs don't stop remap radio forever. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Dominant plugs. Great plug game. Uh, but overall, the standings look like this in third place, Oberhof Racing. Uh, second place, Paying the Stroll Toll. And number one, <laughs> Understeer McBride. I understood that reference. It was good. Good names. Very good. Good job, everyone. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at shiftf1podcast.gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Uh, next one, we'll actually be able to read emails. Yeah. It'll be a race. Hooray. Uh, there will be a race and not one to talk about. Uh, you can also hit us up on the socials. We're not on threads yet. Should we get on threads? <laughs> Did we have an Instagram account we can convert no, over? No, we don't. We didn't? No. Don't want to start one. We, if, um, if we did have an Instagram account, it would literally just be pictures of Pastor Maldonado anyway. So, you know. Yeah. How, how many of those are out there? We'd have to go get our own. Yeah. To I, hire someone with a telephoto lens. Speaking of pictures of people, I'm very so upset. Uh, sorry, Rob. Um, uh, I, I was so upset I needed to talk over you about the fact that they had a certain Haas team principal taking, looking at memes, looking at pictures of memes, and the most important meme of them all, he didn't go for. What an absolute missed opportunity. I was blinking at my screen. In, Unbelievable. Yeah. Outrageous. Dead to me. <laughs> Uh, well, that's us around the internet. Do you want to take us around the world? Of I sure do. Let's race around the way. Yeah. The Goodwood Festival of Speed Ooh. is happening, is kicking off Thursday of this week. Uh, if you are unfamiliar, you can you watch a whole bunch of weird cars go up their, their little course in somewhere in Britain. Uh, it's just flanked by hay bales. Good stuff. It is this weird, like throwback, but also here's this car that's never been seen before going a thousand miles an hour past these spectators. It's really wild. It's really good. Um, get some wood. It's really good. They stream it online. Check it out. Uh, the world Superbike championship is at Autodromo Enzo e Dino Ferrari. Mm. Imola. Maybe you know it. Uh, for their Italian round. Formula E is also in Italy in Rome. The Rome Prix. At the Sir Circuito Cittadino dell'Ur. The E Prix di Roma. Just around the Colosseum. Very bumpy. That's, yeah, sure. They already they already got a track. Do you like the, the NASCAR Coliseum? They did the LA Coliseum. They turned that into a NASCAR did track. Did they really? They really did. Cool. Uh, Bubba the, Wallace is arrested at the Coliseum <laughs> for doing donuts inside. They'll do it. Don't they'll. you know it's 2,000 years old? <laughs> uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is in Loudoun, New Hampshire at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway for the Am Better Health 200. Love that one. It's one of my favorite ones. It's going to get loud. 
and Loudon. My my health my health am better. I'm better. I'm feeling I, I was feeling Loudon, sick, but now I'm feeling I'm better. <laughs> but now I'm better. <laughs> um the Motocross Grand Prix <laughs> is at uh Locket in the Czech Republic. Locket. Check it out. Lock it up. Pop it. Pop it and lock it. <laughs> uh let's see. Uh Super Formula is at the Fuji. I almost said the Fiji Speedway. They're not that far <laughs> That's... Uh, a field. Um, which is in Oyamacho, <gasps> Sundogun, Shizuoka Ken. Oh. Which is the prefecture. Thank you. Yes. Um, let's see. We have uh the IndyCar, the NXT. No, I'm sorry, not the NXT. The uh what is their sponsor? NTT. Uh, IndyCar series. Ah, yes. Uh, in Toronto for the Honda Indy Toronto race. Nice and clean. I like it. And we got NASCAR. Are we, are we, feeling, are we feeling bad? Or um, I'm, I'm, I'm better? <laughs> um. we're, we're feeling uh, we're feeling New England-ish. Ooh. We're also at Loudoun, New Hampshire. For the Crayon 301. The crayon. The you mean like the 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 little pens my kid uses? Yep. Literally. Yep. That's or what's if you're, uh, that's what's sponsoring the NASCAR? Crayon. So yeah, I think so. If you're uh if you if you say things different, you might say crown three hundred three oh one. Cra is it is it I'm, <clears throat> I'm breaking K paper. Is it actually mm. the crayon? It's crayon. Crayon? Crayon. C R A Y O N. I believe it's a company. Don't know what they do. Oh, they it's cloud technologies. I thought it was the cray. I thought it was the pens. Which can Crayola. Crayola. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Crayola is the name of that yeah. company. Because you imagine deliveries. Well, I was so good. That would have been great, exactly. And what I, what I was thinking of was how the. Do you remember when we went to the NASCAR in Sonoma? Um, mm -hmm. the the kids area <laughs> was like. Paul, not much of a kid's area. It was like a car they could <laughs> play in and then a table with some crayons. So, um, mm. yeah, makes sense. Cloud computing. Why not? Who says crowns? Where are the crown people from? Somewhere in America, is it? It's like a Boston it, it thing or something. Is it, is, it, is it New Hampshire? Maybe, Wait, maybe like it is saying the crayon like crown? Yes, they pronounce it crown. Crown thing. No. Southern? People oh, say yeah. crayon. Cr sure. I'd, I'd accept crayon. 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 That's how I said it when I was growing up. Crayon. Sure. Play with I your crayons. Sure. Uh, well, that's what's happening this weekend, Danny. What happened in Days of Yore? Oh, God. It was like, uh, I, was, I forgot about the book for a second. And I was like, am I, was there a news article I have not done research for? God. Days of Crack Yore. Open the good book, Danny. Are we talking yes. about the Colosseum again? On this day, July 12th, <laughs> in Days of Yore. That's the name of this section. After some success in motorbike racing and a slow start to his career on four wheels, by the early 90s, Damon Hill was beginning to find mm. his feet and managed to get an F1 drive with the Moribund Brom team. Today in 1992 at the British Grand Prix, Hill started his first Grand Prix, having managed to qualify in the uncompetitive Brom for the first time. He finished 16th, four laps down on the leaders. <laughs> okay. Four laps down. That's not fun. Martin Brundle summoned up his, uh, the, sorry, the British GP 
Excuse me. Martin Brunel summed up the British Grand Prix at Silverstone on this day in 1998 with the words, This is as bizarre as I've ever seen a finish to a Grand Prix. I'm going to stop for a second. Anyone know which, what this is? 98? Yeah. No. Michael Schumacher had been leading in his Ferrari when he was given a stop-go penalty in the closing laps. It looked like victory was gone, but Michael came in on the last lap to take his penalty, thereby crossing the finish line in the pits to win the race. Confusion reigned, and Murray Walker could uh, only say, I'm pretty sure that Michael Schumacher has won the British Grand Prix. (laughs) Infamous scenes at Silverstone. Yeah, good ones. That that if there was a, a boundary to test, that man yes. was going to going to test it. I believe there is a rule in place after that exact incident. Hey, if it's not in the rule book, yeah, it ain't breaking the rules. Uh, all right. Well, final thoughts after this British Grand Prix, Danny. Yeah, it was a fun weekend once again. Mixed rain. Uh, mixed conditions, mixed weather uh, actually added maybe a bit more spice to the weekend. But uh, honestly, I, I, I'm i just excited to see Daniel Ricciardo in an Alfa Tari. I think that's, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sad for Nick DeVries. I think he has, you know, he's not the first person to, you know, come under that particular guillotine, but, um, you know, he, he knew what he was signing, signing up, up for, for when he yeah. signed that Red Bull contract. He got stuffled. He did. He got. He, he sure did. did. He did. He got Marcoed. This the the helmet Marco finishing school it, does not. You low know, key, you, get, you can get kicked out. The villain. The villain of all the story, I think, sometimes <laughs> might be helmet because it's like Christian and Adrian run the racing program, dude. Like, what are you bringing to this party here? Uh, but yeah, that's chaos. Yeah, yeah. Helmut Marco is like the hangman. He just comes in and like he he does the dirty work. I wonder if if that's. He's like the fall guy because he doesn't care. He likes playing Squid Game with like twenty year olds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll, you didn't throw me. I'm just going to do the closing thoughts here. Thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We got to stop Martin from doing the grid walk. It's time. It's it's <laughs> over. We have to. We we had a good time, but I think we all need to accept the fact that one for a guy who allegedly hates it. He sure makes it somehow more awkward and weird and worse every time he goes out. This entire car, car Delavine thing was oh, bizarre I didn't see this. this weekend. So once again, somebody there was a there was a celebrity on the grid, Car Delavine, uh, Carnival Rosone, and Brundle went up to talk to her and was waved off by. She was there at the behest of uh, Alfa Romeo. Okay, was waved off by their PR. Ignored ignored the PR and then went up to Delavine and started asking her questions. She was like, "Sorry, not taking questions." And then he kind of gets into it with uh, with the PR, and then as he walks away, he's kind of weirdly snide about like, "Well, I'm sure it would have been a fascinating conversation." But also to the PR, he's like, "Well, the rule is everyone talks on the grid, which is not the rule. This is not like you like being on an F1 grid does not mean that Martin Brundle like you know has." Right to demand that to have a conversation. The microphone in the driver's faces when they're in the car or walking, you know. Yeah, it's it's just weird. But but then every time he does it, you have a weird toxic fan discourse. That's the other part of it. Is you like clockwork? Come Sunday night, Monday morning, there is a 
well, all these people think they're too good for the sport. They want to if they want to come to the to the races, they need to show respect to the sport. And it's like, man, he's a little he's a little British man with microphone running up on you. Like you don't is is Sky the sport? They think they, they do. I like I like I get well, massive. Yeah, I know they do. Yeah, I get massive big time energy from those dudes like Crofty, yeah. Brundle, huge. But I don't think they are no. No, it's funny. I yeah, would even I, say in the UK, if you had a BBC, although maybe not at the moment, because they interviewed me, you know, and now it's just BBC's mm-hmm. reputation's tanked. No, but at the moment, there is a weird thing going on with the BBC and some silly something the Sun reported on. It's whatever. I'm not going to get into it here. But but in general, I would always have thought that the BBC, uh, you know, on the microphone would have um, produced a bit more of a you know, of a respectful response, perhaps. But yeah, I haven't watched them in a long time. I haven't watched any of the track walks for? in a long time. Yeah. I don't why? Know. Why? It's like watching why IRL Twitch streamers. You know what I mean? Like just walking around. Oh. Yeah. It's like, I don't need that. And it's just, that. it's excruciating energy. Like there are people yeah. who love the awkwardness that it genuinely is funny to watch Brundle who has no talent for this, misidentifying people and randomly <laughs> going up to people to demand questions. But like, it's it's a rough watch, hey, even does, at the most charitable. What does Car- yes. what does Karen Delevingne have to say about F one? Like, let just leave her alone. Like, you know, she's here for a good time. You know, she's not going to let us know if like car- if Ferrari's tire strategy has been on point this year. You know what I mean? It's just you, yeah. Formula One gets the prestige just by showing these yes, people. That's, you yeah. don't need to talk to them. If anything, that undercuts your brand. And it's yes. like again, he went up to Megan the Stallion and was like, "Do you have a rap for us?" Like oh my God, did he? Not, I'm just like, like out of the loop on the Martin Brundle. Oh yeah, man. Right. So like between that, between the Chinaman thing, like the guy uh. needs to be given the hook, and like he's he's decent in the booth. Let's let's keep him there. But this weird confrontational thing he's doing uh, around the gridwalks is is no good. It's it's a bad vibe. It makes him look worse. Uh, and you know, as we start the as we start the second part of the American leg, like it's just a matter of time before he pulls the shit with Taylor and gets killed. Mm. Probably will. I, <laughs> I do. I do feel like, in his defense, or maybe in F one's defense, there was a time when the track walk was just about the only time we had any personality happening in and around the race. F1's not there anymore. F1 is like right. loads of access, loads of driver time, loads of discourse around it. So its import is completely reduced. But there was, for a while there, it did add some much needed personality to a rather dry presentation. But I'm with you. I I, I haven't watched either him or Cool Tards or anyone's in a long time because it just doesn't feel like it's relevant anymore. I just want to go back to one thing. Rob, are you a Carnival Row fan? I am. Yes. What is that? I Interesting. Heard a, what is it? I heard it. Interesting. Mention. Oh, so Carnival Row is an Amazon <laughs> fantasy series. Secret well, Society. A bunch of oh, rows, but it's like, um, like a Victorian London detective series, but like fairies and satyrs are real, Ooh. and Orlando Bloom is like this hard ass uh, detective who's trying to solve. Uh, Jack the Ripper style crimes, except what if Jack the Ripper were killing fairies? Oh man, and well, he's an elf. So he wouldn't like that. Yeah, and Cara Delevingne is a fairy, and she's got little wings, and like she looks like a fairy. 
Absolutely. Sense. And yeah. then turns out like when you have sex with a fairy, like all sorts of wild shit happens. Oh, wow. But also like okay. there's there's good mystery stuff happening there. Uh first season was the first season was good. Second one little less even, but it was uh it was, it was a fun series. Cool. All right. Well, uh if you'd <laughs> like to support the show and get access to all our bonus episodes, maybe if we run out of car movies, Carnival Row. Oh my god. Wrap it up. Get out. Let's get out of here. Jesus. You can join the official shift of my Discord at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Yum. <laughs> <laughs>